This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. One way we learn in life is by asking questions. I remember when I was in school, I wasn't the one who liked to ask questions. I, I, I like for other people to do that. Because, you see, I learned early on that the questions they wanted answers to were the ones I wanted an answer to. But I still believe that one of the great ways that we, we learn is by asking questions. You know, there are a lot of questions that people are asking even today. So, so one question people are asking today is, what are we going to do about terrorism in this world? And, and that's a good question. And men are grappling with what we're going to do to, to, to uh, do away with that threat to our freedom and to our lives. Another great question that people ask today is, will men ever find a cure for cancer? Well, let's just be praying that there will be a cure for cancer because very likely almost every person watching the telecast right now has known someone either a friend or a relative who had cancer. So we are interested in the answer to that question. But today, what we want to do is talk about the world's greatest question. The greatest question of all. What is that question? Stay tuned as we discuss it today. Now, if you are tuning in today for the very first time, may I welcome you to Getting to Know Your Bible. Thank you for tuning in to watch today. Now, on Getting to Know Your Bible, we offer a free Bible course, and we're going to pause so you can learn more about the course, so you can learn how to receive it. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence Course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580. Or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214. The Bible is a book of questions. There are so many questions that are asked in the Bible. But for example, in the book of Genesis, God asked this question of Adam, Where art thou? Or where are you? God did not ask that question because God was unaware of where he was. I believe God asked that question because he wanted Adam to be aware of where he was, to awaken him to where, what he was doing. Another great question is found in the book of Genesis, this time chapter 4. And am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper? It would have been a lot better if he had been his brother's brother and then he would not have taken his life. There's a sense in, when we, in which we are our brother's keeper. Uh, another question to ask in the Bible is found in Job, the 14th chapter and verse 14. That, that question is this, if a man dies, will he live again? If a man dies, will he live again? Well, that's a great question. Jesus answered that question when he came into the world. 
by saying, I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Now, now another great question that's found in the Bible is in Matthew, the 16th chapter, where Jesus asked, for what is a man profited? If he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul, or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? You see, that's a great question, a very probing question. And a man can forfeit his soul for things of inferior value. Another great question asked in the Bible is in Hebrews, the second chapter in verse number three. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? And that's really a rhetorical question. That is, it answers itself. There is no escape if we neglect our salvation. So there are a lot of great questions in the Bible. But the greatest question of all is the one that is found in Acts, the 16th chapter, and in verse 30. Here is the question. Sirs, what must I do to be saved. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? There's never been a more important question than that one. Suppose we were to know the answer to all of the other questions that I have mentioned, but we don't know the answer to that question. What benefit would it be to know the answer to the other questions if we cannot answer the question of what one must do in order to be saved. I want us to think about that question for a Let's sort of analyze the question. Now notice the question is, what must I do to be saved? That means here's something that's absolutely imperative. Something that must be done. That's somewhat like Jesus' statement in John chapter 3, verse number 7. You must be born again. There Jesus did not say it's a good idea for you to be born again. It's a suggestion that you be born again. No, it's imperative that you be born again. You must be born again. And the question we're considering is what must I do to be saved? Now go back to the question again. What must I do? What must I do? We're not talking about people in other parts of the world. We're not talking about what about Moses. We're, we're not talking about Abraham. We're not even talking about the thief on the cross. The question is, what must I do to be saved? You see, there's something that I must do. This is a personal matter. Salvation is a personal thing. Paul in Galatians 2 and 20 said, I am crucified with Christ. Ne nevertheless, I live, yet Christ uh, uh, liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me, that is, loved Paul, and gave himself for me, that is, gave himself for Paul. All of us could say that. The Lord loved me. So the question is, what must I do? What must Billy Lambert do to be saved? Put your name there. What must you do to be saved? But let's think about the question again. What must I do 
What must I do? You see, there's something that a person must do in order to be saved. There is a divine side to salvation. And the divine side of salvation is what God did for our salvation. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see, God did His part in giving Jesus Christ for the salvation of mankind. And Jesus Christ was the greatest gift of all. Thanks be to God for His unspeakable gift. That's the divine side of salvation. But on the human side, there's something that man must do to respond to and to benefit or to appropriate the benefits of God's divine grace and, and, and the gift of God that He's given to man. There's something that a man must do. It's not enough for a person to think about their salvation. It's not even enough for a person to say, Lord, Lord. No, no, there's something you must do. Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. There's something you must do in response to the will of God. Now, let's think about the question again. What must I do to be saved? Now, to say that we must do to something to be saved suggests that we're otherwise than saved, that is, we're lost. To think about being lost is a terrible, terrible thought. Uh, people sometimes are lost at sea. I cannot imagine the, how horrific and horrible and terrifying that must be to be lost at sea. To, to all you see around you is just water. And it's a horrible thing for a person to be lost out while they're maybe trying to climb some mountain. That's, that's been known to happen many, many times. People get lost. And then maybe years later, their bodies are found. But the greatest loss there is, is when people's souls are lost. You see, our souls need to be saved because... The soul of man is in an unsaved state. That is, the soul of man is lost. Now, how are we going to get an answer to the question, what must I do to be saved? And I suggest to you that our directions, our information comes from above. Jeremiah put it like this in Jeremiah 10, 23. And even though it's an Old Testament passage, it has many, many New Testament applications. Oh, Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. You see, we need direction from above. We need God to tell us what to do. Someone might respond and to the question, what must I do to be saved? And some people respond like this, maybe not in word, but in deed at least, in their actions. 
Here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I plan to do. You see, rather than our asking or saying, here's what I will do, I need to be asking, what would God have me to do? What must I do to be saved? I need an answer that comes from God. Someone else may say, well, you just take your road and I'll take my road. You go your way and I'll go my way because after a while, we're all going to get to the same destination. There are so many problems with that. First of all, that eliminates what God says. That, that's the saying in essence that I really don't believe God and I, I think I'm wiser than God. But I think about what Solomon said about people choosing their road and somebody else choosing their road and their way and another their way. There is a way that seems right unto a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. And folks, if there's a way that seems right, there is a way that is right. And that's God's way. So rather than I say, our saying, well, it doesn't matter what you do, just so long as you're honest and you're sincere and you go your way, I'll go my way. Because after all, we're after the same thing. We may be after the same thing, but we've got to get on the road that leads to heaven. And we've got to do things God's way. Well, someone says, I just think that one thing just as good as another. It doesn't matter. One thing is just as good as another. You may have your way of being saved, and I have my way of being saved. And both of them will lead us to salvation. So you do it your way, I'll do it my way. And again, that eliminates altogether what God has said. Here's what we must do in order to be saved. We must become submissive to the will of God. We must become submissive to the will of God. Because man cannot direct himself. Man cannot devise a scheme whereby he can be saved. That's God's business. And our responsibility is to respond to what God has said. And if there is anything God wants, if anything God desires, God desires the salvation of man. God wants people to be saved. God's not desirous that people be lost. Absolutely not. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4 says that God would have all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Now the key there is come to a knowledge of the truth because it's the truth that will set you free according to Jesus in John 8, 32. So God wants all people to come to a saving knowledge of the truth. Do all people come to a saving knowledge of the truth? Absolutely not. Some people can, can study the Bible for a lifetime. And they study it through uh, uh, rose-colored glasses, as it were. And they don't study it with an open and receptive mind. And they're never able to come to a clear understanding of what they must do in order to be saved. But so God wants people to be saved. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You see, God loves man so much 
that God gave the royal gem of heaven for the salvation of humanity. God commends his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus died for us. He was our substitute when he went to the cross of Calvary. So God wants people to be saved. And, and God has made the plan of salvation so plain, so simple, so understandable. Jesus said, you shall know the truth. You can understand the truth. But friends, you have to want to understand it. You, want to, to, you must have a desire to learn and to understand the truth of God without a lot of preconceived ideas and, and notions that you may have. So God is a, is a God of love and God wants man to be saved. And God has done so much for us. As we read in Romans 5 and 8, he, he gave Jesus to die on our behalf. And then verse 9 of Romans 5 says, much more than being justified by His blood, we are saved from wrath through Him. Now Romans 8.32 says, God spared not His own Son. He spared not His own Son, but He gave Himself as a, as a sacrifice and as atonement as a, for the redemption of mankind that we might be saved. You know, have you ever wondered how God could love us so much? Uh, that's, that's a lot of love, isn't it? To, to love us so much that He was willing to give the, His only precious Son to save a world that's filled with sin. Suppose, suppose that a criminal killed your son. And some of you watching may have had something like that to happen in your life. And my heart goes out to you. But let's just suppose that a criminal has killed, killed your son. And that criminal has been apprehended. So you ask for permission to speak to that criminal, the one that killed your son. What are you going to say to that person? And you say, sir, you took the only son that I had. You took the life of my son. But sir, I want you to know that I love you and I want to forgive you. Somebody said, I just don't know, Brother Lambert, that I could do that. That would be hard, wouldn't it? Well, folks, that's exactly what Jesus did, God did. You see, we had offended God. We sinned against God. And yet God allowed His Son to die for the people that had offended the Father. We, we offended God by our sins, and our sins do offend God. But He was willing to let His Son die for our sins. Why? Because He loved us so. And we ought to pay back that kind of love. We, we ought to requite the love of God. We ought to, we ought to do things that that will show God how much we love Him. You know, one-sided love is a tragic thing. Why, for example, I, I read many years ago about a 
man who was in prison and, and his wife uh, did all kinds of menial tasks to hire uh, legal advice to help get her husband out of prison. And finally, the man got out of prison. And when he did, he ran off with an old girlfriend. You say that man was a scoundrel. He didn't deserve a wife like he had. I'll have to agree with you. Because you see, she loved him, but he loved somebody else. That's tragic. Tragic. And because God loved us, then we want to show how much we love Him by doing what God asks us to do to please Him. 1 John 5, 3 says, This is the love of God that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not grievous. See, because I love God, I, I'm going to do what God asks me to do. Now, let's ask, that, let's ask that question again. What must I do? What must I do to be saved? Let me mention just a few things. For first of all, you must recognize that you're a sinner. The, the, the fact, fact is we're all sinners. There's none good. No, not one, Romans 3.10. All of sin comes short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. All of us are sinners, and we all have our own way of doing that. In Isaiah 53, Isaiah said, we've all turned to his own way. All of us sin, and we have our own way of sinning. One man, one person, one man or one woman may, may sin by, by drinking, and another may not have that problem, but they may, they may have foul language that they use. You see, everybody has their own Achilles heel. Everyone has their own way of sinning against God. And we have turned every man to his own way. We need to turn to God's way. And we must also be willing to humble ourselves before the throne of God. It's not easy to be humble. But pride goes before a destruction and a haughty spirit goes before a fall. And we need to be willing to sacrifice anything that would come between us and God. Whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath cannot be my disciple. We, you see, we cannot be the disciple of Jesus and we cannot be the servant of God if we hang on to things that would not be acceptable in the living of the Christian life. That might mean that you're going to have to give up some habit. That, that might mean you're going to have to change your uh, social relationships. I have known of people who had to give up someone they loved. That is, I knew of a woman who was about to marry a man and, and, and she found out that she did not have a right to marry him. That is, a biblical right to marry him. And it was a very heartbreaking thing to her. But you see, you have to be willing to make some sacrifices. And then you must be willing to obey Obey the will of God. You say, well, what is the will of God for a person to, to be saved? You must believe on Jesus Christ as the Son of God. In John chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, the Bible says that He came to His own, and His own received Him not. But, but as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. Those who believe on the name of Christ and believe Jesus is the Son of God, have the right to become 
the sons of God. But you can't become what you already are. So I know from that that just because we believe does not mean we are a son of God, but we have the right to become the son of God. We're not saved just because we believe. Two reasons I make that statement. One reason is the Bible doesn't teach it. And the second reason is the Bible teaches we're not saved by faith only. James chapter 2, verse 26. You see then how they will works a man is justified and not by faith only. So to be saved, we must believe on Jesus. Jesus said, unless you believe, you'll die in your sins, John 8, 21, 24. But the second thing we must do is we must be willing to repent of our sins. And that's, again, imperative. I tell you, nay, but except you repent, you will all likewise perish. We must repent of our sins. Repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. Someone says, what does that mean to repent? That means a change of mind, a change of heart for the better. And I cease, make up my mind that I'm going to die to the old life, that I'm going to die to the old man and I'm going to give my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to get out of the willful, deliberate, sinning business. I think that's the most difficult part of the plan of salvation. Because it's sometimes hard to give up certain things. But also in order that we might be saved, we must be willing to confess our faith in Christ. As the man in Acts chapter 8 did, he's riding along with Philip the evangelist and he makes the statement to Philip, here's water, why can't I be baptized? And Philip said, if you believe, you may. He said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So they commanded the chariot to stand still and they went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Baptism puts one into Jesus Christ. Galatians 3, 26 and 27, For you are all the children of God by faith in Christ. For as, for as many of you have been baptized into Christ, did put on Christ. Baptize into Christ. Are you saved? Have you done what the Bible teaches one must do to be saved? Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. May I urge you to obey the gospel today. May I urge you to give your life to Christ. I want to invite you to in, uh, attend and to visit the Church of Christ in your community. And if you don't know where it's located, call us. We'll, we'll get you that information. And also right now, pick up the telephone call for the free Bible Correspondence Course. And until we meet again, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you is my prayer. We want to help you as much as possible in your search for a personal relationship with God. You can now easily access our free Bible correspondence course online at gettingtoknowyourbible.com. If there's any way we can help you grow closer to God, please email us at knowyourbible at golftel.com or call us anytime at 1-877-711-5214.
Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, or to receive the free Bible course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama 36580, or call 1-877-711-5214. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bible.